Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges. We are a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. And once again, this is not a Batman episode, so I don't know why they let me in, but it's okay. <laughs> we're uh, we're going forward anyway. Um, today, uh, we've had a few days to process. Uh, today, you know, may not be as fun as some of the other episodes. We'll get into it. We'll see what happens. Uh, we're talking about... Uh, the allegations against Joss Whedon and how us as Buffy and Angel fans are kind of uh, processing it. It's uh, it's been a it's been a long ride. Um, but first, let me introduce our guests. Uh, first, we have uh, returning Emily Jude from Tennessee, uh, probably the quickest turnaround <laughs> guest. <laughs> um, we were just on like a week and a half ago, and uh, we're bringing you back. And uh, and joining us, uh, another member of the Batman Podcast Network, uh, TJ from Gotham Outsiders. Uh, TJ, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you know, you were going on about how you wanted to be a part of a, a Buffy episode. I'm sorry, this can't be a uh, more fun Buffy episode, but we'll get to that soon, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... I love drama, so I, no, no, this is not fun drama. But I, I have so many feelings about it. Um, I, my co-host Chris, if you listen to Gotham Outsiders, uh, we all know Chris. I, I wrote her a, a lengthy um, post just about all of my feelings. So I'm glad to be here to do it vocally. So thank Good. You. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we get to do this. Um, and uh, it's, ooh. What a what a what a week! Um, I I feel like this has been going on since 2017, where Joss Whedon's ex-wife had written an essay um, about essentially calling out Joss's behavior uh, when he was on set of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he wrote an air quotes apology that sort of confirmed the thing I've always thought, which is that. I think Joss Whedon's an asshole. I, I don't think he's a. I don't think yeah. he's a nice person. Yeah. So, do, do you, you you both know what I'm talking about the yeah. um, the essay that she wrote? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when it came out. Like, I don't. I don't really actually remember it. I remember like I don't remember how long ago, but reading it and almost like reading it kind of blasé. Like, yeah, it's nothing. I didn't already assume about this person that sure. like it was comments that I had like kind of picked up over the years and kind of just like assumed about him as a person, which sounds really bad to do. See, but I'm in a completely different, I, I'm super curious to know what your, both of yours relation to Whedon was, I say relation, like we all know him, but <laughs> I was deep in that Whedon cult. I was on Whedon-esque, and when oh. that article got published by his ex-wife, that was that was like a, a, a game-changer type thing. I mean, so many people lost their faith in a man who had um, written work that empowered them, specifically female fans, and you know, I was one of those fans that kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, but so many, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, that was the right move um but again i was deep in that cult and so many people yeah. just their faith was completely obliterated the website we didn't ask shut down after that 
Um, that was a huge deal. I, I, yeah, I remember I, that. Uh, oh, you go. No, I was going to say, I remember I, that. I um, I wouldn't say it was ever like a Whedon super fan. Maybe when I was, I started getting really into Buffy when I was like 13. And that probably like, I was like a diehard fan, like literally watching Buffy every day from like age 13 to like 18. Um, so I feel like I always super appreciated the quality of his work. Like it was obviously very clear what a talented writer he was and, you know, a, what a creator he was. When I was in high school, I used to get the Buffy and Angel magazines and there was often like articles for, with interviews of him. And it was really interesting to like see the person who came up with this thing that, um, you know, I loved so much. I think with, with, you know, many pieces of media as time went on. Um, I became very aware that a lot of the uh, material that he wrote that was like in its time, like he was he was the feminist like dude in the it, as a in, in the writing community. And yeah. um, like he yeah. can write women. And now looking back on it, like watching it now, I'm like, ah. right. But not to not to take away anything from there are I mean Buffy is such a great show I yep. still love it um, but I think as an adult I can look at at it and see the problematic elements that come up in it but still appreciate it for what it is. It's very '90s feminism and I feel like Joss Whedon never progressed past '90s fe- feminism. <laughs> uh, that that is a good way to put it. It it's it's funny I remember following uh Whedon-esque on Twitter back then and you were talking about um you know his ex-wife and I feel so terrible I cannot remember her name do you either of you remember her name like I because she was a very private person um oh gosh so no uh, I can look it up real quick maybe maybe it's for the best we don't remember but um but I remember whoever was running the Whedon-esque Twitter you know saying like based on what's come out I don't feel comfortable running this anymore. We're going to shut down. So, and I forgot all about that TJ until you brought it up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, yes, I I remember that and feeling very bad for them. And, and, and I was sort of in the same boat as Emily thinking, okay, well, I can still watch Buffy. I can still watch the Avengers and not feel like slimy or anything. I'm just like, so yeah, he's a great writer, but he's a, he's a jackass. Like you could say that about a lot of people in Hollywood, I'm sure. And her the name was Kai thing, Cole. I just looked Kai it up. Kai Cole, yeah. there it is. Okay. The other thing, like when her statement came out, like I am someone that when something comes out, I'm always on the side of the victim. Yep. But, but I also, it did occur to me like, oh, maybe their marriage ended badly. And this was just like a way for her to like get some feelings out about exactly. that. Like it, sure. I try, like, I don't want to say that I took a side either way, but when it came out, I was like, oh, it could be one or the other. She could just be bitter or he really could be right. gross. And that was my <laughs> my stance was, oh, like maybe part of this is true, but you know, she's a scorned woman. Of course she's going to be angry. But I mean, I remember I only read this thing once and there was a rough quote of her quoting him when he said, you know, basically I've been having an affairs on you for 20 years, but I'm a man and I was surrounded by women. So how can you blame me is basically what I remember this quote saying, but it was yes. written in such a distinct 
voice. And if you know Whedon, he has a very distinct voice. And of sure. course, this is a woman who's known him for decades. She could have faked that quote. Do I think she faked it now? No, I think, you know, I can just hear him saying that. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot. I I never thought that, I, I never thought that she faked it. I just, I read that aspect of it and thought, I never thought there was any abuse and toxic culture on set as much as there was just he just took advantage of his power and if women wanted to sleep with him he wasn't going to say no which as a as a married man is awful uh he, he that you know that that obviously is extremely inappropriate behavior um unless you're into that sort of thing you know but obviously she his wife uh, kai you know she wasn't she she was unaware of it and when she found out she was pissed off as as she should be so that's that's what I thought of that situation, and then it took a huge turn last summer when Ray Fisher spoke out, and he said that you know Joss Whedon's behavior on the Justice League set was gross, abusive, and completely unprofessional. Um, and then it it for me and some of my friends it turned into like, okay, well I don't give a shit about Joss Whedon. I'm, I assumed he was an asshole, so that's that doesn't bother me at all. Um, but what broke my heart was seeing him throw Jeff Johns under the bus, who's like one of my favorite comic book writers. And I was like, well, well, I mean, I, it, it, I, I'm sure Jeff didn't mean to do anything, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't realize what was going on. And as more stuff came to light, it was just sort of like, I kept kind of going, all right, I have to you know, maybe I was in a Jeff Johns cult. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I, I, I have to take I have to take my rose colored glasses off and go, you know, it's it's important for us, you know, when we have victims of abuse, somebody like Ray Fisher, who's speaking out, um, it's important to listen to them. It's important to say, OK, like and of course, the way justice works in America, you have to hear both sides of the story that that's how that works. You know, that's why we have trials. That's why we have juries. Um. But unfortunately, we I don't think we've ever heard Joss Whedon's side of this story. We've heard Ray Fisher, and now we've heard from Charisma Carpenter, Sarah Michelle Geller, Michelle Trachtenberg, uh, and even James Marsters uh, spoke up. But he spoke up, um, I want to say a few months ago, he was on the Inside of You with uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. And he said that there was a moment where Spike was super popular on the show, and and Joss Whedon was furious at that. And he just pushed him against a wall and said, I don't care how fucking popular you think you are. If I say your character dies, he dies. And James didn't think much of it. He kind of laughed it off. But Rosenbaum was listening to this and Rosenbaum was like, Jesus Christ, dude, really? And that hearing that was just like, okay, whatever Ray Fisher says goes, Joss Whedon is an asshole. Like, I think all of this stuff... I think actually even before his wife or ex-wife came out with her article that she wrote, mm -hmm. I can remember, I, I was never on Whedon Ask, but I can remember like reading the message boards when I was a teenager and Jeff Pruitt, who was the stunt coordinator for Buffy from season one to season four and mm -hmm. Sophia Crawford, who was his wife and Sarah Michelle Geller's stunt double yes. came out and talked about what an egomaniac he was that he went from like this very humble writer um to just believing that he was the shit and he retaliated against people who challenged that um 
whereas in the beginning of the Buffy process, like he was very collaborative on like stunts. It just took a very different turn to the point where he, Jeff crew ended up walking away from Buffy. Yep. Um, and I, I can, I remember when that was like a big deal on the message boards <laughs> back in the day, like all this tea came out. Um, and side note, fun fact, uh, he's uploaded a lot of uh, stunt behind the scenes YouTube oh. videos, which are really cool to look at. Now, is this the um, same couple that he tried to force to break up because they work together? Because I was I, just reading about that. I believe it is. Yeah. I think so. um, yeah, they were on the show. I'm pretty sure. I think Sophia Crawford might have stayed on there the whole time. I can't remember if she left or not, but I know Jeff Pruitt was the stunt coordinator only until season four. And then he walked away. Um, okay. But once that, when that came out, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe you're not a good person. <laughs> the Buffy set was very intense. Like, I've listened to, um, if either of you are familiar with Buffering, the Vampire Slayer, um, they interview a lot of the cast members. And every time they ask about, like, um, what was the improv like? Like, could you be Lucy Goosey with the dialogue? It was like, <laughs> no, like, you had to say it word for word and if you oh. messed up you know you were redoing it like there you know joss's word was the word and that's you know it had to be spoken very specifically um and i can just imagine if it wasn't <laughs> uh i could see him pushing you up against the wall or yep. you know if spike's popularity wasn't a part of the plan of course that was going to piss him off because he had to reimagine his plot line uh and as we know with charisma carpenter he does not like having to reimagine his plot lines mm. that her statement it's so uh, interesting to me i so she okay i just recently started following her within like the last two years on twitter and mm. with it like when I started following her, she, I read a thread of tweets where she talked about being pregnant on, on getting pregnant on Angel, which you can clearly tell in season four that she's pregnant um, in like her character is pregnant, but she is pregnant. Um, and her being like, and her pretty much saying the majority of what was in her statement that just recently came out. And it's just very interesting to me if you watch like the Angel 20 year reunion that they did with Entertainment Weekly. She talks about uh, like her write off and then being able to come back for, you know, the hundredth episode and doing um, You're Welcome on season five of Angel, like to give Cornelia, Cordelia that like her final moment. Um, but then when this came out, like I, I read it and I was like, man, this sucks. And when I watched it with my roommate, my roommate's favorite character is Cordelia. She's obsessed with her. We loved Angel. Great. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, we're going to do her MyCon, like fan meet and greet and tell her like what an injustice it was to her fucking character oh, that she, she died. <laughs> yeah. Cause we just love Cordelia so much and right. she's such an amazing actress and it was heartbreaking that the statement that she wrote, like mm -hmm. that, uh, she just I have deserves to say so much that, better. That You're Welcome episode is fantastic. And I know yes. Charisma even thinks that. But when she, of course, now knowing everything we know, she was kicked off the show. And uh, when they requested her to come back for an episode, she said, yes, I will come back, but do not kill me. Do not kill me, please. And she got that script. And what did they do? They straight up killed her. And it yeah. was a great death, but if she had requested not to be killed and they agreed to that, that was yeah. the shittiest thing they could have done. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, I hate it. <laughs> it's it it's rough. Um, you know, seeing seeing victims come forward and and people kind of give them that really prove it look, you know, and and I can and I confess to being somebody that does that, which I don't is an aspect of myself that I I I try to. You know, I think we all would like to think we're we want to take people at their word. Unfortunately, there are a lot of scumbags who are going to lie about you know, oh, I was so mistreated and this happened and that happened. And you find out later that they're full of shit. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we all know people like that in our in our daily lives. Um, but it. Right. When and when it's allegations against one of your idols, like that's even harder to accept. It, it, so it I think def- that's a reasonable reaction. It, it, it is. Um, and thank you for saying that. It makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, when you get I want to. I do want to hear both sides of the story, but it's also when, you know, something is simple, not as simple, geez, uh, when, uh, you know, Brett Kavanaugh became, you know, part of the Supreme Court, it's just, you know, we, they had all those tr- those trials for him, and and I just remember watching that and thinking, uh, yeah, no, I think this guy's a scumbag. Like, I, there's just, he's not pre- the same way that I felt about Donald Trump. He never ever presented himself as someone who was like, "Hold on, this isn't true. This is you, what they're saying isn't right." It was just always sort of a, you know. And I go back to that Matt Damon bit, you know, that they did on Saturday Night Live, where he made he was portraying Brett Kavanaugh, which is just barely not the truth. Um, if you've ever watched that, I highly recommend. Um, it, I, I just look at that and I go, "This guy just sounds desperate and crazy and." And even with like Joss Whedon, that that apology that he wrote to his wife, that just so was just like, I mean, like there were all these women around. What was I supposed to do? It's like, yeah, okay, well, right. That's that's not an apology, you know. The I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but women were throwing themselves at me. Yeah. That's not an apology. Like I'm sorry, but is not an apology, uh, which I learned from Santa Clarita right. Diet. And when, when Donald <laughs> Trump betrays you, you're like, um. I saw that coming a, a mile away. You know, you weren't really trying to hide who you were. Uh, yeah. But Joss Whedon was such a betrayal for so many people because yeah. he was very charismatic. He was very funny. His art was excellent. And, you know, he was one thing in front of a crowd and apparently another uh, when he was actually dealing with people in general, not just women, but specifically women. Well, there were, uh, you know, I would listen to the commentaries on the Buffy DVDs and even on the the first Avengers movie and, and listening to it, I was very much like, okay, so he's an atheist, which is fine. I don't, you know, whatever, but the way he described religion at the time I was very religious. I was, I felt a little insulted. I was like, I don't, you know, not that he's talking directly to me. But, you know, when you're in a commentary booth and it's just you, it's you're you're sort of talking to no one. You can say whatever you want, sort of. Um, and I just was like, I don't I don't I don't like this. Like, right. I, I, and I think he has a very narcissistic uh, 
personality trait, which I think a lot of yep. people are talking about. And I was I was the 13 year old also listening to that same commentary. But on my side, I was like, oh, like I see his point. I'm also also an atheist. So I thought mm-hmm. at the time when I was 13, but every 13 year old is a narcissist or thinks they know better. <laughs> so like sure. the fact that Joss Whedon had the same outlook as me as a 13 year old, uh would be a red flag nowadays to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's heartbreaking to to hear these things from people that we, you know, that we ad- admire so much, you know, y- you know, growing up with Buffy, growing up with Angel. And I think what, what really, you know, if Charisma's comments didn't push me over the edge, Michelle Trachtenberg's did. Because, you know, I, I don't, you know, we, you know, and uh, we, I've talked about this before on the podcast. I'm not a big Dawn fan. Thought she was the most annoying character in the world. Is anyone really a Dawn? I am a Dawn fan. I'm sorry, Spender. Michelle. Oh, <laughs> no. I do not enjoy Dawn, but she was going through a lot. So I defend her. <laughs> yeah, I try to think of how I would react if I found out I was a mystical key, but I still don't think I would be half as annoying. But I that's always bring up, hot. like, she was ready to sacrifice herself in the yeah. gift. And I was like, damn, like, yes, we hate her, but she had some balls. You gotta admit. That that is fair. That's fair. Um All but right. rant over. <laughs> but but her statement when she commented on Sarah Michelle Geller's statement, and I thought that Sarah Michelle Geller, excuse me, Sarah Michelle Geller handled that very, very well, where it's like she's gonna get bombarded with interviews because if any she's literally the face of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So for her to say. I'm proud to be associated with Buffy because she knows what Buffy means to so many people growing up, so many young women who looked up to her. Um, but she's like, but I don't want to be associated with the name Joss Whedon. And, and, you know, she's like, this is the only statement I'm going to be making about this. And, and she said, I support survivors of abuse. So we don't know what, or if she went through anything, I'm sure she did, you know, working 15 hour days, seven days a week for like, nine months out of the year it takes its toll james james i so with my recent like resurgence into buffy i've been watch, i've been reading a lot and i've been watching a lot of interviews um james Flatouts has said like in the last five years like they ran that girl through the ring mm-hmm. she was so young she was working ungodly hours carrying this huge show on her shoulders and she never had a break it was actually like in terms of like the show ending and how it was basically her decision that she didn't want to do it anymore and you know people were super bitter over it but when you really think in context of what she gave to the show for seven years like but he said you know like that the the writers (laughs) slash joss really like gave it to her and that's what kind of pushed her to finally be like i'm ready to move on to the next chapter of my life i'm this chapter is closed Charisma Carpenter talked about um, how Joss had uh, made fun of her for being fat, specifically when she was pregnant. And I think she said she was 136 pounds. I think that was the number. And it's like, that is not fat, even when you're pregnant. Um, And over the years, there's been a lot of rumors that Sarah Michelle and Joss had issues like that. I always, of course, this is just my speculation, but in the first season, uh, second season, she has some baby fat. And after that, uh, you know, and Sarah Michelle Gellar was not, not fat, but it's like, she gets very skinny after that point. And I just wonder, like, 
you know, how much pressure was she under specifically? My mom always brings that up when we, my mom also loves Buffy. We watched it together my whole life. And like, (laughs) mom loves like Sarah, not to like, I don't think you should idealize any type of like body. All bodies are beautiful, but my mom is always comments like, wow, she looks so like beautiful in season one and season two. And even in season three, like season three, it starts to come off, which I think with season three, it was like age. She was finally like hitting into her twenties and like her, like you said, her baby fat was coming off. But even I've been reading all of the IMDb trivia as I watch every episode this time around. It was even in the trivia of season four. It was like, Sarah lost a lot of weight. And you can tell because her stunt double looks very different from her. And I was like, (laughs) "Uh." and I thought about that. I was like, was it the pressure? Was it that she just started taking her like extracurriculars? Like she was doing kickboxing and taekwondo to stay in shape for Buffy. Was that like part of it? Or was she bullied into losing this weight that she didn't even really need to lose? Right. Right. And I think we can make an educated guess at this point. Uh, but of course we can't know for sure right and it's um and it's unfair when you know i think especially women are really put through so much shit when it comes to these uh these big superhero type things right um i mean gal gadot kind of famously when she was first cast as wonder woman so many air quote again fanboys Oh, like her tits aren't big enough. And it's like, and she kind of fired back at them going, uh, well, true, Amazon's only had one boob. So you want that? We can do that. <laughs> and and I like that she kind of stood up for herself in that way. Um, but she also, and, and I've mentioned this in another episode, kind of famously stood up to Joss Whedon during the Justice League reshoots, where, you know, the scene where, uh, you know, she falls and Flash falls on top of her, like in, in her cleavage. She was like, I don't like that. I'm not, I don't want to do that. And he was like, all right, fine. And did it with her stunt double. And it's, it's just tacky. Okay, it's a tacky there. move. Like, I heard oh my he was gosh. screaming at her. She was like locked in her trailer. He threatened her career. Of course, stuff that is not confirmed, but these were rumors that were started from someone saying it that they heard it. And then like cast and crew were liking those posts. So like. Well, Back in the day, he was supposed to direct Wonder Woman. And I think all the time, what would have happened? Because I remember reading in Buffy magazine, like he was slated to work on it. The project ended, ended up getting passed along with someone else. But he talked about having Sarah or Charisma or Eliza playing Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. And I think all the time, like, what would that have looked like if it think had come out? It was they like- dodged. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, <You> know? <laughs> and, and that Batgirl movie that was supposed to happen like the last few years like oh yeah like i was bummed when it got canceled but now i'm like no like they really thank god <laughs> I, I remember i remember thinking what a great choice for batgirl because look at buffy he's right. gonna he's gonna nail it and then but i also read that and, and again this may not be true but i wouldn't be surprised if it was that his wonder woman script which i think took place in world war ii i think was a it was a period piece that he was very um it, it, it was mostly from Steve Trevor's point of view. And there was a lot of talk about how gorgeous Wonder Woman was and how voluptuous she was and all this stuff. And it was just of like- Of course, it, Wonder Woman is from a man's point of view in Joss Whedon's world. I hate yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I, so many people were shitting on that when that script leaked. And I'll be honest, I have a copy downloaded to my phone to read someday, but I have not read it. <laughs> 
because at the time, you know, I was still in that Joss Whedon cult. I felt sure. the urge to defend him um, okay. by saying, like, look at these past good things he's done. So right. part of me was afraid to read it because people were just saying how bad it was. And I didn't want it to be real to me. And I right. think that's part of my in denial phase that I'm now over. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you are. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's so <laughs> tough to be in that situation and to feel like we can't we don't know what happened you know and that's sort of the the thing that i think a lot of people try to say you know it's like well we, you know we weren't there we can't well whatever, and the whatever. problem too is this all happened 20 years ago 20 yes. plus years ago so we can look back and say hindsight is 2020 and hopefully this is just unfortunately another learning lesson going forward um that you know people need to be protected from these executives who hold so much power over their careers um i think like a really great example is brennan frazier who came out within the last few years yes. that he was sexually assaulted and and when he tried to talk about it he completely got blacklisted from hollywood and he is a phenomenal actor yeah. um he seems like a really wonderful person and now he just stays out of the spotlight because of what he went through and right especially like going back to you talking about Michelle Trachtenberg's statement, like who, who was there to protect these people, man right. or woman on this set, you know, like there were people there, there were executives and producers there who knew what was going on. They have, I'm sorry, there's no way someone didn't know. And it was still happening. Um, people have always talked about how protective Sarah was over Michelle Trachtenberg and yep. her, coming out and saying that he wasn't there was a rule he was not allowed to be alone in a room with her like that's, that's terrifying again which that's implies horrifying. what happened the first time right yes right. to a 15 16 17 year old girl right like it's disgusting it makes me sick to my stomach yeah i have yeah. to say that um charisma's statement of course is um blew the door wide open because she gave so many specific little details um, and of course, the Ray Fisher allegations, like this was the prime time to release this statement, unfortunately, because she had made this known. This was a known thing. This wasn't yep. like an info dump all at once. Like right. back in the day when she was fired, there was a, an outlook in the fandom that like oh she was hard to work with oh like yes. she kind of got the blame for it and i don't know how much of that was fans being willingly blind and making those types of assumptions or if like just the media like if someone was feeding this sort of perspective um but either way this has been around and she's said time and time again about like what had happened this was the most info we've gotten but um i think it's interesting to look at like why why couldn't she say this 20 years ago why weren't we allowing her to feel comfortable enough to to yeah. your point she in that i think it was the entertainment weekly angel reunion she's she actually made a statement in that that i like have remembered since i watched it months ago which i think that she created a narrative about what happened to her like when people do press for for movies, they're answering the same questions all the time, and they just come up with this blank blanket statement that they just make in every interview. And she said 
we had an agreement after working so long together. There's a mutual understanding between collaborators. Like I'm going to be here for you when you need me. And I broke the agreement by getting preg pregnant. And that is why he is, he was upset with me. And I it's like and I was blaming. Like, yes, Awful. like but she, yep. and it came from her and it was like yes. oh my god. This woman has trained herself to respond to this mm -hmm. question. You work with what you got. You have a contract. And for him to fire her over it is just utterly ridiculous. Now, granted, 20 years ago, I get I get it. We're not there anymore, thankfully, I think. I know that there's still a lot of prejudice against pregnancy in Hollywood and in movies, but yep. I'd like to think we've come somewhere from there. But it, I just right. couldn't believe like that she... And then she came out, once she finally laid out her story and put it out, I was like, thank God. Because yep. you deserve to tell mm -hmm. your truth and for people to believe you. Absolutely. I read that she had said something in like 2009 at a convention that was more uh, like explicit about her, like her side. But the one you did, that quote you just mentioned was from the Angel reunion more recently. Okay, so that makes sense that like you can't exactly shit talk the boss at the party that's celebrating the boss, you know? Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's sad that she was made to feel like she um, had to feed into this false narrative um, that was blaming her. And it doesn't sound like she was the one to blame. And either right. way, there was no reason for her to be treated that way. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, last night, uh, Emily sent me a, a, a TikTok of uh, this girl saying, so there's a Joss Whedon movie where... Um, a woman spends the whole movie saying that she's in love with a guy and will tell anyone that she's in love with this guy and equates being sterilized to being a monster and then spends the rest of the movie in a cage. Oh, that movie is Age of Ultron. And I just was like listening to this woman say it going, oh, yep. Yeah, that does happen in that movie. Yeah, the badass um, Iron Man 2 is, uh, and, and the first Avengers is, uh, yeah. This is how she's being treated. And there's a there's a marked there's a markedly different shift from um, Black Widow from you know Age of Ultron into Captain America Civil it's War. So bad. And into she's like the coolest, baddest bitch in Avengers. And then she's like, Oh, I'm a monster because I can't have kids. And it's like, where the hell is this coming from? This makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, it, that was another one that I was uh, in denial about. Same. I was a defender, um, but looking back, I'm if you you know I'm because I know in my heart I'm like that's not how he intended it. Yeah, but that's the way it came across. And yeah. like, and also like, uh, what is this? He has this repeated pattern of displaying women with children, and they are they like pregnancy there's like been people who have written, written dissertations on joss whedon's portrayal of pregnancy in angel like before mm -hmm. we before that ever even came out up with ultron like he has some weird fucked up issue with pregnant women yeah. and they deserve to die <laughs> <Yeah>. apparently <laughs> i remember i think we probably read the same thing and the 
if, if it is the main takeaway I took from this article was that in, in Angel, pregnancy furthers the plot lines of the men, but when it comes to the women, they they die or they suffer. Um, and you know, that's not Darla's whole storyline. There's it's the art, it's probably the article. Well, then there's that, and then there's there's a BuzzFeed article that came out within the last few years that was mm-hmm. like the women of um, Buffy and Angel deserve better. Um, or maybe it was just Angel, and it was specifically Fred, Cordelia, and Darla. But um, the article I read about, you know, the pregnancy, like Darla's whole story arc was like when she was pregnant, she shared the soul with the baby and she was doing this selfless act, but it, it was someone else should just, if you're listening, just go read it. It's pretty messed up. But like he has this continued, this plot point of people being pregnant, like is I don't understand what his fixation is with it I truly don't understand and why he handles it the way he does and why it's always depicted the same way where these people end up dying because of it it makes no sense at all someone uh, brought up the Fred Illyria dynamic too was kind of like a pregnancy in in itself and I had never thought of it that way but when you compare it to the Darla plotline the multiple Cordelia pregnancy plotlines you know there's a trend (laughs) Yeah, like Xander dates demon women and Cordelia is always pregnant. <laughs> and this is all that you get. Uh, it, I, I, it's, it's weird the, the, the way he, he portrays that. And it, it's also just, I don't know, because him championing, so or championing, championing? Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, sure, I know words. Um, you know, so much for women's right. And that was the whole point of Buffy, you know, his thought process was, you know, it's always like the the dumb blonde girl that gets killed off first in a horror movie. I wanted to empower her. And the very first scene in Buffy the Vampire Slayer is, you know, this this seemingly airheaded blonde going into, you know, the school with this boy. And then she, but turns out she's the monster. She is, you know, so the script is flipped. And, and the show was very good about that to begin with was very good about flipping dynamics and um but it's also you can point out the problematic stuff throughout all that and joss whedon's own sensibilities like his issues with the military and you know um and god and everything just coming through all that but it's also um you know you look at these characters and sometimes it's just what were you what were you thinking with this like the way cordelia gets treated throughout you know the you know especially the last season three of buffy the way you know anya is kind of treated it's just going back to before we took our break um amber benson confirming that the set was a toxic place to be said I hold a lot of respect for her as an actor um, and I feel like so we're gonna kill you 
he did the same thing with Emma Caulfield, who um, I think Anya has literally one of my least favorite deaths in television history. Like yep. she deserved so much more as did Tara. Um, it right. just- It was for shock hearing, value and like yeah. they deserve better. Him, his whole chip on his shoulder about you can't give people what they want. You have to give people what they need. And his whole thing was they want to see Buffy and Angel together, but it's not interesting if they end up together. So I'm going to give them A, B, C, D, E, F, G instead. And sometimes <laughs> it just went too far. Like it yeah. just missed the mark. And I think at the time, like... Why, I mean, I'm, I'd be really interested to hear like your thoughts on this, TJ, but like the groundbreaking um, effect it had on like queerness in the media, I think like that was such a thing to be celebrated at the time. Like, oh my gosh, like it was television history happening on Buffy between Willow and Tara's relationship that yeah. almost like it made it okay to overlook all these other like misogynistic or right. um, homophobic or transphobic uh, fragile masculinity comments that come up throughout the show. Like, but we are like, oh, but look what he did right. for the gay community. And it's like, uh, he's clearly got some issues. I think that's tied into, and I, you know, I was guilty of this. Of course, I was way younger. I was 13 when I was in the prime of the Whedon cult. But um. <laughs> someone doing a man doing the bare minimum and everyone just saying oh thank you and yeah. i think a lot of that had to do with being in the 90s and the early 2000s but we have progressed past the need for that i think and you know while willow and tara were revolutionary at the time there's so many quotes from joss whedon saying i didn't know what i was doing that's what doing college and like when i read this to begin with i was like oh joss you're so silly like you knew but now or i'm the, like no he didn't he know. thought like i know that when the show started he thought either xander or willow was going to end up gay which is kind of why like when xander explores that like those like comedic moments with larry who's like coming to terms Rest with his penis i know yeah. Larry, yeah. why are we killing all the queer people joss yeah um but that, and also I feel like in the last few years, he has backpedaled and cut, like all of a sudden he said recently, like he wanted, um, there was a character he wanted to be black and the network wouldn't go for it. Oh. And he wanted to make Willow gay from the start, but the network wouldn't go for it. And I'm like, it almost felt because it didn't, I didn't hear any of this until the last few years. I'm like, is this just performative at this point? Are you just saying things right. to like oh, the get network. people to look? Yeah, it was like, the uh, network that wouldn't let me. I'm right. trying to remember who it was that he wanted. Just like, he wanted he's like, oh, Age of Ultron sucks because the studio intervened. And it's like, how many times can you blame the studio? It was probably best if the studio intervened. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I, I want to talk a little bit about Amber Benson again, because mm. we keep talking about 90s feminism and being progressive in the like, 90s version of being uh, an, an ally to the queer community. Mm -hmm. um, when Amber Benson was cast, like Joss's on record saying that he didn't envision Tara being quite as large as Amber Benson. And it's like, what do you mean? Amber Benson is not 
a large person. She isn't a size zero. She's human sized. <laughs> right. She's human sized. Oh, oh, and I thought, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ. Right. That is... Right. Mm-hmm. So I, something tells me Amber Benson has a whole other experience um, of yeah. how toxic the Buffy set was. Sure. Um, I just read yesterday when I was reading trivia while I was watching season four um, that, yeah, she came into audition. He did not see her how he had envisioned Tara. And I think it was Jane Espenson really loved her delivery and she brought her back in and was like, let her read one more time. And when she did, he was like, oh, okay, I see this. But but he completely changed his idea of how Tara was supposed to be mm. based off of Amber's audition and like the mannerisms that she chose um, in her audition. Right. And I'm just like, mm. <laughs> And to, to, I keep having all these thoughts as we're talking. Uh, I wanted to say <laughs> that yes, like the flipping of the of the tables in terms of Darla being the villain at the beginning, you know, a petite blonde girl, and it's like, well, we're back to that '90s feminism. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna say, take a shot every time I say '90s feminism. Um, <laughs> that I've, it's it's only it it's only for Joss if you're a petite blonde woman, you know. And tying in the amber bent, if you're a larger woman or just not a size zero, mm. does that does his type of feminism apply to you? If you're I black, the amount of black people in Buffy and the amount of oh, black God. people in Buffy that die. Like I was thinking yeah, about that the other, other day. Story. I was like, who are the black people like season by season? And I'm like, in season one, there's really no one. I can't think of a like a mm-hmm. prominent black character. Season two, you get Kendra, she dies. Season three, you have the guidance counselor, Mr. Platt, he dies. And uh, Mr. Mr. Trick, Trick. Yeah, he I dies. Don't forget Mr. Trick. Uh, season four, <laughs> Olivia Giles's girlfriend. The booty um, call. She just she just disappears into the ether. We never yep. see her again. Not much uh, character. Season five, for us. once again. Yeah. See, and like the only person who who lives is Robin. Robin Wood, and that's it. And you know, there's and he tons didn't... of seasons in comic books after season seven. Yes, he's in like two issues. He I don't is get not it. Relevant at all? Yeah. Yeah, I. <laughs> it's a horror. Yeah, it's like it is '90s feminism. It doesn't include black people or any any other minority other than white people. Um, and and we mentioned. Cordelia dating Xander, as soon as they broke up in season three, Cordelia had nothing to offer Buffy, which I think that's why she went to Angel, because it's like, if she's not dating this man, Xander, what can she offer the show? And it's like, what do you Christmas talked all the time about how, like, it was her, the point of her character was to be the person, the voice saying, your plan is stupid. And (laughs) they kind of got that with Anya. They kind of got that with Spike. So there really wasn't a need for her anymore. Which I'm just like, that's the stupidest thing. I'm really interested. Right. Joss told both David and Charisma when Angel started, if this flops, you guys are more than welcome to come back to Buffy. And I'm so curious what that would have looked like. Although I'm so thankful we have Angel because like both of them, their characters and the arcs we got from Angel are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be Wesley. so curious to uh, see. Oh, rugged Wesley. Imagine if Doyle never died with and Wesley just never yeah. showed up. Oh my gosh. I know it would be like such a different show, but I'd be interested to see like how he would 
how he would use them in the plot, like what arc would they serve um, in conjunction with the other characters? It'd be really interesting. But well, I remember, we'll I remember reading uh, some sort of, I think it was a review, it was an interview with Joss Whedon talking about uh, the first Avengers movie, where they talked about how, because it was an interview with him where he was quoting the the review, saying that the movie doesn't really have a plot; it sort of stumbles through it throughout the movie. And he's like, yeah, I can see that, you know, like there's so many spinning plates, you know, you're trying to figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And I just like, I was like, what kind of a, an asshole is reading these negative reviews and going, yeah, I guess like, you know, I mean, the movie's okay, I guess. It's like, uh, well, first and foremost, it made a fucking billion dollars. It put your name on the map. Wouldn't you think at that point you'd be like, I don't give a shit what this motherfucker has to say. Like, I made that's so interesting <laughs> to me because I um, I remember when Avengers came out I think I was still in high school and I loved it I saw it four times in the movie theater I'm pretty yep. sure that's the most I had ever seen a movie or still is the most I've ever seen one movie in the movie theater it had a perfect balance of comedy and action and drama for me that I was just like so enamored by it and I thought personally that they handled the spinning plates really well. You have all these different characters who have their own storylines. Granted yeah. at the time we hadn't seen all of those like fleshed out the way that we have now with how they've all been franchised. But like, right. it makes me think of like, like a show like Riverdale <laughs> where I loved Riverdale. Like the first season's good, second season, not so good. And it just got to the point where you have all these characters and they have their own plot and none of it really makes sense and it's too hard to keep up with but i thought that that was i thought avengers was really successful with that and i'm it kind of sucks to see someone who like worked on a you know a billion dollar project come back and just be like yeah it's a piece right. of shit <laughs> like what right that's what and you think of your own work avengers is fantastic and age of ultron i'm a defender of age of ultron even though there's problematic stuff in there so i like a good character driven story and i feel like that one is much more joss whedon again i really love joss whedon's work in general um so i'm an age ultra defender but um so my point of saying bringing up defending joss whedon um in no way do i think he should not be held accountable for everything he has been air quote accused of because you know it happened um yeah. i think we're pretty sure of that right. um but there is this toxic fandom mindset of when something when someone is so big and they've done something so good like the avengers movie we want to see them fail and we we want to tear them down like i i didn't personally but i feel like part of the backlash to age of ultron specifically was fandom wanting to tear him down sure um do i think there was specific do i think there was valid criticism of course the black widow plotline should have been criticized and rightfully was but yep. um again this was my mindset then and i still feel a little bit of like mm, well they kind of tore him down now knowing everything we know about him do i feel bad for him not really but at the time <laughs> i had a little bit of sympathy i no i 100 agree with that especially that being like his first like major step into Hollywood from like television. Yeah. Um, it, everyone knows how much his writing was praised on Buffy. And I think people wanted to be like, yeah, take on a franchise like that and let's see how you do with it. And people were waiting for him to fall. And unfortunately 
I think Avengers Age of Ultron was still pretty successful, like for the yeah. most part. It's just there was problematic elements in it. But right. I 100% agree with you with people looking for the for the slightest flaws just to be like, yeah, you're not you're not as great as people think you are. Right. Well, the the thing that I I think about with those two Avengers movies, the first two Avengers movies, um, and th this is how I had read it, and I agree with this, is that the first Avengers movie was an event. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. All these franchises coming together, it was huge. But the second one's just a movie, you know. Right. So it's so it's still you know, and I and you know, like you, TJ, I I will defend Age of Ultron. I have I, I rewatch it frequently. I enjoy the hell out of that, the hell out of that movie. It's it's so much fun to watch. Um, I think the good outweighs the bad in it. But at the same time, when you look at it and you look at where its place, you know, in hindsight being 2020 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there is a reason that the studio, quote unquote, was saying, no, 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 you have to include this stuff. This stuff has to be in the movie. And does it hurt the movie? Yeah, it kind of does. But does it hurt the movie so much that we can't enjoy it? No. So I think right. there, there's a point when like this wasn't Suicide Squad or Justice League where it was torn to hell and it looks and you can tell it looks like shit when you watch Suicide Squad. It's like this was supposed to be this fucking amazing thing. And instead, it's just like this generic Hollywood blockbuster uh, subpar even. And same with Justice League, which ironically, you know, Joss Whedon came on to and and I feel like Joss Whedon coming onto a set, you know, and and again, this is just speculation. Is he going to talk shit to Ben Affleck? Probably not. Is he going to talk shit to Ray Fisher, who has one credit to his name, and that was, you know, a 10-second scene in Batman v Superman? Sure. He's probably going to say, sit down and do your job. And it, And again, that's just my speculation, but it's like, I'm not hearing this from Ben Affleck. We're not hearing Ben Affleck go... Yeah, he was an asshole. We are hearing from Joss, or excuse me, from Jason Momoa. There was some shit that went down. And when Jason Momoa said it, that's when I kind of stood up and was like, maybe this isn't just an actor that's pissed off his role got cut. Maybe there there is more right. to it. There's so many, I think my mom and I talk about this all the time. Like when the stuff with Kevin Spacey came out, mm. Kevin Spacey is one of the greatest actors of all time. There's no... I'm sorry, unfortunately, his actions and his personal life don't take away from his talent. It makes me kind of disgusted to look at him. But oh, yeah, <laughs> like we have such a habit of putting people on pedestals that we don't know. We idolize people that we don't really know. I think about like I'm not an Army Hammer fan. I really didn't even know who he I still don't really know who he was. I think he looks like sour cream. But <laughs> like the fact that all I've been like keeping up with all this stuff about him and like following this the victim of him who has leaked all of these screenshots and hmm. you don't look at that person and say, Yeah, he's probably a cannibal. Like <laughs> which he is. Like yeah. I think we have such a problem in society and I think so social media is to blame. I think reality television is to blame where you feel like you know these people because they've shared such intimate private moments of their life with you that you truly feel like you know them inside and out. Like my whole life I've I've loved Sarah Michelle Geller. She's my favorite actress in the entire world because of Buffy. I admire Ooh. her talent. I love her so much, but like I don't really know her. I don't know what she's like. I've heard lots of things about her. I know mm -hmm. I have a personal friend who saw her on a regular basis and interacted with her and has told me what she really was.
gonna watch a Kevin Spacey movie again because of what he did? Probably not. No, I have watched Kevin Spacey movies since what happened came out. Um, but I think that a big, unfortunately, the biggest reason that this stuff is so hard to talk about is the backlash that these people face when they come forward. Like Ben Affleck has been towing a funky line the last few years, unfortunately, because of his addiction problems. And he's been in the media for some not so great behavior. Probably wouldn't look good on a PR end for him to come out and start bashing the director of something that's a big moneymaker for him. Um, I think people with a lot of people with artistic integrity who aren't afraid to just say it and aren't afraid of the hit they might take. Like, it's such a weird, funny industry. Like, I we don't really know anything about it. We don't really know what these people will face because of coming forward. And unfortunately, it's just contributing to this like silence and shame um, frame of mind that in Hollywood. It's horrible. I think, uh... In, in you know like you said uh so i do agree that ben f like it would it would look bad for him to come out you know against uh, joss whedon but i think it, the subtle way he did it uh and same with gal gadot was just hashtag release the snyder cut so they were both very much in their own way very subtly saying no this wasn't the movie we signed on for you know and we didn't we don't appreciate the version that came out this is the version we appreciate and want to and want to see um and that's a whole other discussion about the snyder cut and everything um and which i am very excited to watch but it it's it's night and day it's one thing to watch a, a movie preview and feel like it spoils the movie it's quite another to watch a movie preview and then go see the movie and go i feel like i'm getting a completely different movie and in justice league's case i'm literally getting a different movie because they reshot all this stuff and there was so much PR. Oh no! It's this was it was always supposed to be like this. So, yeah, but this is what we're doing. It was always supposed to be like this. And then you watch the previews and the footage that uh, Zack Snyder has been releasing, and it's like, no, this was a this was a completely different movie. That was one hundred percent PR bullshit. You guys were spinning, and probably not at the obviously at the behest of Joss Whedon, but at Warner Brothers. Um, but at the same time, it's like, look at the ego on on this guy that. He went. He went around saying, essentially, and, and this and this has been confirmed by, like Kevin Smith said that he talked shit on the original Snyder version, like on set. Um, and it's just like, okay, well, first and foremost, he, Zack Snyder wasn't fired from the movie. He left because his daughter killed herself. It's tragic. And then here's this asshole talking shit about this movie. Like that's. Right. It's like, just can you important. just imagine? WB had to think they were doing something so big, bringing Joss Whedon in. Like, right. oh, here's this guy that just made two Avenger movies. They each made over a billion dollars. And yep. then all this happens. And it's like, I think that was partially their fault. Part of this, part of this is their fault in the terms of yep. like, Zack Snyder is so different from Joss Whedon. Their tones are nothing alike. So like the fact that we ended up with this jumbled mess, uh, but the tones just didn't mix well. Like, of course it wasn't going to work, but they really thought it was going to, which is kind of funny looking back. Well, even, even without the Henry Cavill scenes where his face looks like he got stung by a bunch of bees, um, (laughs) you can literally tell 
what scenes were filmed by Joss Whedon and what were filmed oh, by yeah. Zack Snyder. It's, There's it's... that one scene between Lois Lane and Clark's mother. Oh, and the the dialogue is just it's so gross. Joss Whedon. It's it's gross. <laughs> yeah. I it's... don't even remember what was said in that scene. I saw the movie once, but the, the, my feeling of watching it still lingers in me. Oh, I, I remember it very well because it's disgusting. So if you want to know, it's on HBO Max. So you can check it out for yourself. <laughs> we were allowed to say fuck on this podcast. I don't want to say what they say on that in that scene. Uh. <laughs> Not that it's, but you know what I mean. But anyway, um, so let me let me ask you both here as, as we get uh, wrapped up here. Um, does, uh, and we, I guess we sort of answered this. Uh, we'll start, we'll start with you, Emily. Um, do, does all this stuff coming out about Joss Whedon, does it, does it ruin Buffy or Angel for you? Does it ruin your experience? Does it tarnish your memories at all? Absolutely not. Um, other than like, I mean, I have, I'm, I can watch it now as an adult and see the problems with it and, and I can, I don't want to say I compartmentalized it, but watching Angel recently, I'm like, oh yeah, Charisma Carpenter got screwed. I still love her performance in it. It's yep. still a piece of media that is very nostalgic to me. Um, it was with me growing up. I never, I, I don't think I've ever wanted anything in my life so bad as to be a vampire slayer. Still <laughs> at almost 30 years old, still waiting to see if maybe I'll uh, get the call. Um, but <laughs> No, I, it, it's makes me very sad um, when you hold something in such high esteem for like half of your life as I have with this show to learn that it, it wasn't all wonderful like I had imagined. I think a lot about um, Parks and Rec, which is also one of my favorite shows and how um, they talked about how it was the show you wanted to be on. Yeah. Everyone everyone in television wanted to be on Parks and Rec because they heard what a fun place it was to be. Um, and it makes me really sad to think that like this wonderful piece of media that is, has been so influential in my life had its problems, but it's still just as magical for me yeah. at almost 30. Good. Good. What about, what about you, TJ? Um, my answer is partially similar to Emily's, but I see. I was just talking about this to my, my friend Chris, and being in that Joss Whedon cult, and it was it was the cult. It was yeah. like, did I like being there? Yes, I did. Do I have fond memories? Yes, I do. But in my mind, not just Buffy, but all of Joss Whedon's work, um. Joss Whedon was Buffy and Buffy was Joss Whedon to me. So mm -hmm. is it like that to everyone? No, I think I think I had a very different experience um, in terms of that. But so in my mind, I'm trying to I'm trying to untangle the Joss Whedon from the Buffy that I love. And in my, in my mind, they've been the same thing. Yep. Um, Joss Whedon made me want to be a filmmaker, made me want to be a writer. I love writing dialogue and my dialogue is, you can tell, I, I grew up on Buffy dialogue. Like, I, so he personally has meant, as a human and his talent has meant so much to me. Um, so it's harder for me to go back and see it the same, but 
I'm I, I'm not gonna just stop watching Buffy. I'm not gonna because uh, I live and breathe it. it. It is a part of my personality. So like, I'm I'm at a point where I'm trying to figure out how to appreciate it because of everyone else that was involved. Like I already appreciated them, but they weren't Buffy to me. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar is Buffy the character, but yeah. she wasn't like the show Buffy to me, Joss Whedon was. So now I'm at the point where I am separating Joss Whedon from Buffy because uh, there's an article going around that says Buffy deserves better than Joss Whedon. And that's just how I feel like it's outgrown him. And he he's known for this quote that says, uh, your art isn't your pet, it's your child. It grows up and talks back to you. And I just wanna, if I had the chance to meet him now, I just wanna say, what's your art saying to you now? What is Buffy mm. the character saying to you now about your actions? What was she saying the whole time? Because, you know, she wouldn't be condoning them. She, uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm in the same boat as Emily. I'm gonna keep, keep watching it, keep loving it, but I'm going to be celebrating it for very different reasons uh, going forward. And I think it's, it's gonna be a very personal, hard journey for me um, to just separate him from it and, I have assigned Buffy comic book on my wall by Joss Whedon. And I'm like, do I want to take it down? Like it's been a trophy to me for so long and meant so much to me, but glorifying it and idolizing it at this point just feels kind of gross. So I'm at, I'm at that weird point where I feel a little gross, like that I've let this person influence me so much. Um, yeah. So it, it sounds so dramatic uh, <laughs> and I feel silly talking about it but it really he has meant so much to my life since I was a child I the first Buffy episode I watched I was six years old um in season six which was not a good season to start with as a child um, <laughs> but of course you know reruns on FX that's what I grew up on and right. and forums on the internet talking about the comics every month um and that was something I did for 10 years so yeah Buffy is bigger than Joss Whedon and I don't think he should be the one to tear it down with him so there's my long answer. Yeah, <laughs> that that was that was a wonderful way to put it, and I and I love you saying that. Um, it this is uh th this has been such a treat uh, having you both here and TJ for your first episode, you know, with us. Uh, and, and and this is you know I said to Emily this is the first this is the quickest turnaround I've had for a new for a returning guest. This is also the quickest turnaround I've had for asking someone to be on the show, TJ. Uh, so oh, it was uh, my pleasure. I um, was more than happy when I got your, uh, your message. Um, and, and, and I was like, I was like, well, if you're comfortable talking about this, you know, and, you know, and I'm glad that you jumped at the chance. Uh, so uh, check out uh, Gotham Outsiders, uh, wherever you can get your podcasts, uh, TJ and uh, Chris that he's talked about a few times. They have a very uh, unique uh, perspective on, on the, on the Batman fandom. Um, yes. We're a feminist and queer perspective on Batman. So I, yeah, and it's, it's a fun time. It, we it love is. to see it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun to listen to and um, and get you guys's uh, perspective on that because I think that that's uh, uh, something that's needed. And and you guys made a joke about in, in one of your episodes about it's usually a couple of white guys talking about Batman or something. And I was like, <laughs> that's true. And I'm not offended by that because you can't argue with facts because you know? right. <laughs> literally that's what my podcast is. Uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I, you know, I really dig your show and I'm glad, you know, I, I hope we, uh, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely get you back, Emily, you know, we'll have you back again. 
Um, I did want to wrap up here real quick um, and say to, to anyone out there, I've, I've made light of the Ray Fisher allegations in the past and because, you know, who really knows what happened, but everything that's come to light since then, especially about Joss Whedon, you know, if, if Jeff Johns was involved, you know, for as much as I loved his work, same way that you guys are, you know, would love Joss Whedon's work, he should get what's coming to him. And with Joss Whedon, he definitely deserves what's coming to him. Um, so okay. anyone out there that may or may not have been offended by it, my making light of the Ray Fisher situation before I do apologize. I apologize personally now to Ray Fisher. Um, you know, the, no one should have to go through an abusive environment in working 15 hour days on, and you know, for like we said, like nine, 10 months out of the year, it's, it's fucking exhausting. I can't even imagine. Um, right. And they're brave, you know, like if yeah. it happened 20 years ago or two years ago, it still took a lot of bravery um, for all of them to speak out. Yep. Yeah. So I, you know. So, yeah, we, um, we're, you know, and, and we want to reach out to anyone who has been abused. Uh, you know, you, you have a safe space here with four comic junkies, you know, you have a safe space, um, if, if you need to reach out, you know, please do what, um, and, uh, you know, and, and get the, get the help that you need, get the support around you that you need, because that's really the, the right people to speak out to in the case of somebody like Chris Carpenter, Ray Fisher, reaching out to their fans. That's, that's great. But they're also Chris Carpenter, you know, I think she talked about talking to therapists and everything also like much needed therapy does not have the stigma it used to. You know, if you've been abused, if you need help, please, we do encourage you to get help. Um, and speaking and, out won't help just you. It's going to help people that your abuser could abuse in the future. Like if Charisma Carpenter yeah. had been able to speak out like this 20 years ago, we might not be in the same situation with Ray Fisher and the Justice League fiasco. Right. Um, it was enabled by by so many people, including myself. You know, I was making excuses uh, and it's time to own same. up to those. Yeah, uh, same. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's what, and, and thank you, TJ, because that's, that's what I'm trying to say as well. You said it better than I could. I was like rambling on and you were like, and also, and I was like, it's oh, the good. podcast host of me. I'm so <laughs> sorry. No, I am also a podcast host, but you're obviously better. Than I am. Uh, but uh, we, we are going to sign off now. Uh, thank you so much, everybody to listen. I promise we'll be back with more uh, uh, wholesome content soon. Um but uh, for now, uh, we want to say that we love you. Uh, if you need help, please reach out. Um, and, uh, and we're there for you. You know, you're not in this alone. You know, your abusers do not have any power over you. All right. So we are signing off. <laughs>